sports fans, and welcome to the Heavy Hitters Podcast, the ultimate destination for your weekly dose of sports excitement with co-host Darnell Duff. Now it's Sandman, right point with it, left circle, Paul wants it, fires it, scores! Ashton Paul, welcome to Dolphin! And co-host Jeff Henson. Williams, blue line, shot, great mouth! Oh, you hit! Whether you're into goals, touchdowns, three-pointers, or home runs, we've got it all covered. We're here to bring you the latest updates, witty commentary, and a whole lot of sports love. So, whether you're tuning in from the sidelines or the comfort of your own couch, get ready for a fast-paced ride through the world of sports. Strap in, because it's game time on the Heavy Hitters Podcast. Hello! Hi there! Morning, evening, middle of the night, Welcome back, Jeff. I feel like we're starting to get into a little bit of a groove, a little bit of a roll here, aren't we? Well, no, nobody's thrown us uh, under the bus or anything yet with regards to the comments, so we got to be doing something right with this so far. Welcome back to the Heavy Hitters Podcast, episode number three. We're now on Spotify, so if you're uh, driving around, maybe you're making a long-distance trip Take us with you and let us know your thoughts on the podcast. If you have any questions, hit us up pretty much uh, 24-7. I know Jeff likes to sleep. I also like to sleep. So if you message me at 2 in the morning, it might take a couple of hours to respond to you. You can also check out our Facebook page at the Heavy Hitters Facebook page. Uh, But nonetheless, some exciting stuff and some exciting stuff over the weekend at the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. It wrapped up with, in my opinion, Carrie Anderson would be in that conversation as well. But I think with what happened with Brianne Mayer at the start of the week, I don't think Team Canada was ever really able to respond from that. So in my opinion, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the top two teams advanced to the national final, Rachel Holman and as well as Jennifer Jones. Of course, the goodbye to Jones and in turn, I guess it's a hello to Rachel Holman, but Overall, I guess your thoughts on the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. We talked about it last week and let our frustrations be known. But at the end of the day, we were treated to some pretty good curling when it came down to the nitty gritty. I had a feeling you might be a little frustrated with how the ending to uh, this year's Scotty goes, considering the three teams that made it to the semifinals and the finals were all wildcard teams. Jeff, I have I woke up the next day and I said, you know what? I was really grumpy. I'm going to be happy. I'm not going to piss on everything. I'm just going to let things happen. So I'm just trying to be happy. I'm changing my mood. So I don't even want to talk about that because okay, okay. I, it's, it just gets me into a bad mode. All right, no problem. Let's just talk about the curling itself. And I mean, uh, uh, the team, the best team in the country right now literally won it. I mean, Rachel Holman, that rank is just they have been outstanding all season long. The the addition of Tracy Fleury to that team at the third position, moving Emma Miskew down to a second, uh, really solidified that team. They had a huge hole to fill when Joanne Courtney uh, left that team to uh, go into uh, broadcasting. And let, let's talk about that for a moment. Uh, you obviously got a chance to watch some of the games. What are your thoughts on, on Joanne Courtney, the broadcaster? I'm a big fan. Um, I think early in her tenure, there were some nerves, but I think now she's really settled in. She's obviously uh, extremely knowledgeable about the sport, and I think she can add a lot of what some broadcasters can't. So I think Joanne Courtney, I'm a big fan of hers. Obviously, uh, she was one of the best in the sport when she was on the ice. But I think as a broadcaster, she is an extremely welcome part of the broadcast team alongside uh, Russ and Vic and Brian as well. If I can use some curling terminology, I think she's slid out of the hack nicely and filling in for taking over for Cheryl Bernard as part of that uh, oh broadcast God. crew. Uh, Bernard oh was was pretty good in there, but I really like the work that she does uh, alongside Russ and Vic. Your jokes, Jeff. <laughs> it's like joke time at 8 in the morning when I first come into work and I, I get into it, or Matthew Bertrand during the hump day ha-ha on Wednesdays, and I just, I got to think a minute. 
after the jokes are said. So thanks for making me think. I wasn't going to think for the rest of the day, but thank you for that, Jeff. No, no worries. But yeah, no, I mean, uh, the home and rink, they've been great all year. And as we mentioned, and they were you know, the only team to go unbeaten this year at the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. The big question now, though, is can they get over the hump? You know, this is their fourth Canadian championship. They've only won one world championship, though, from what I remember from those three previous uh, trips. Can this be the year they get over the hump and get back to being world champions once again? Because they've been to the Olympics as well, too. Didn't have the greatest of showing uh, at the Olympics when they represented uh, Team Canada. Haven't necessarily had the greatest of track records at the world championships. You know, the rest of the world is caught up to Canada, I think, when it comes to curling. Now, you're seeing so many countries that are are talented when it comes uh, to this sport. It's not a given now that Canada automatically will win the world championships on the men or the women's side. And I think as good as Rachel on that rink was at the Scotties, they've got to find another level even more now going into the world championships. Uh, not that far from their backyard, uh, that team being from Ottawa and this year's championships here in Canada, in Sydney, Nova Scotia. So uh, you know they're certainly going to have the home crowd on their side throughout that event. But can they step that game up even further than what it was uh, throughout the cash spiel and, and all the Grand Slam events and uh, even more from what they were at the Scotties? Well, I mean, you, you look in the final at the Scotties. Sarah Wilkes, 91%. Emma Miskew was 83%. Tracy Fleury was 85%. Rachel Holman was 88%. That's some pretty darn good curling. And I even go back into the game prior against Rachel Homan when Homan literally had to draw the pinhole. Can you remember that draw? Un wow. Just magical how it curled in. Like that was just, you talk about a photo finish. And then she ultimately stole in the 11th end, 11 and 0 this week. But on the world stage, as you mentioned, there's some pretty darn good curling teams. And I look like teams Anna Hasselborg. And Silvana Tiranzoni. Tiranzoni over the past years has just taken over number number one in the world. I think this is a Rachel Homan team, though, led by Homan. And I love how focused Rachel is. When she gets into the hack, it's honestly like she's on a mission. She goes into an ulterior universe, and when she is on, it is extremely tough to beat her. And you add Sarah Wilkes, who, in my opinion, one of the best leads out there. A tremendous sweeper. Do they get past, uh, does the Holman rink get past Terranzoni? Do they get past Hasselberg? Perhaps having home ice advantage in Canada could help them. Let's not forget those teams from the Asia Pacific as well. No, you too. can't the forget. The Koreans, the Japanese, Fujisawa. the Chinese. Yeah, exactly. They're great teams from out there. And those teams are, are playing year round now. I mean, this isn't just a, you know, a couple months here or there. They've just much like. You know, those names that you've already mentioned, the Tiranzonis and the uh, the uh, Hasselbergs, and of course with Ra Rachel Holman. They're coming over here to North America. They're playing on the uh, big Grand Slam events on a regular occurrence. So they're going to be tough teams as well, too, at that championship. And you, you hope that Rachel is going to be uh, taking that next step and can win it for Team Canada, but it's going to be tough. Now, do you think there's any pressure on, on, on Team Holman, Jeff? Because Canada hasn't done as well as they would have hoped on the international stage. It's as simple as that. Anderson was trying to get to a five peak, did not. They won four straight nationals, but at the end of the day, when it came to the Worlds, it was another disappointment after disappointment. Do you feel or do you think that Holman is going to be feeling the remnants of that and thinking that this has to be the year? Well, I think it is. And I think that's one thing about maybe the tournament being in Canada that might be a deterrent against Rachel is you look at that pressure that's going to be on the Canadian rink to win the world championship, amplify that by a couple of times because it's in our backyard this year. It's here in Canada. So the pressure for Holman in that rink and considering the season they have had so far on the Grand Slam uh, circuit and, and such like that, uh, I think a lot of people on paper are going to have Rachel down as one of, if not the favorites at this uh, championship. And again, now it's going to be her job for her and that rink to channel that in a positive way and not let that pressure get to them. So the page playoff format used at the Scotty Tournament of Hearts, which I'm a big fan of. First and second play, the winner goes directly to the final, the loser goes to the semifinal to play the winner of the three versus four page playoff game. Jennifer Jones got off to a great start in the semifinal by scoring five points in the first end and 
when you go up 5 nothing, it's pretty much you're just cruising the rest of the way. They ended up winning that game 12-7. to But it got me to thinking, do you want to win? Let me rephrase that. Would you rather play in a semifinal if you guarantee you can win it and then go play in the national final? Or is it a better thing to move from that 1-2 game, win that 1-2 game, and get straight into the national final? I look back to 2015. Teams that have won the 1-2 game have won six of the last nine titles. In three cases, teams that lost the 1-2 game lost in the national final. Russ Howard, even Jennifer Jones said, I would love to play in a national semifinal if I was guaranteed to win. Do you like playing back-to-back and maybe on the other side of the coin you're in a national final where you get the morning off? Maybe it's more time to think. Maybe some more nerves come on. What's your ideal situation for you? I think uh, I think if you can win your way right to the final, not have to go through the semifinal, I think is ideal. Um, one, you get that little bit of extra rest. Two, you get the hammer. You have the hammer going into, because you were the uh, the team going into that championship, you should have the hammer going into it. So I think the advantages are there. We're seeing that with the numbers. Six out of nine over the last several years have won after uh, winning the 1-2 playoff game to go directly uh, to the final. I want that rest on the Saturday or, or in Sunday morning. I don't want to be having to worry about, even if you're guaranteed to be in that national championship, I don't want to have to uh, be worrying about playing an extra game. I want that rest be able to mentally get myself ready for that championship final. So we put a close to the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. Quickly, I do want to touch on Jennifer Jones and what she has meant just to the sport of curling, you know, to the younger generation and just so many curlers alike. And at the end of the day, one of the greatest of all time, she won six Scotties women's curling. I know she's still going to play mixed with her uh, with her husband, Brent, but uh, women's curling is certainly going to miss out with the like of Jennifer Jones. Yeah, they certainly will. Don't forget, she's an Olympic gold medalist as well, too. Uh, a, a great, uh, that was a great moment watching her in that rink uh, win uh, gold back in 2014. And uh, TSN did a nice job of a nice tribute to her uh, during the championship final, talking to uh, a lot of the skips and other curlers that were at this year's uh, Scotty and uh, uh, to a man or to a woman in this case, Matt, uh, a lot of them looked up to Jennifer Jones and were uh, she was an inspiration to a lot of them uh, to continue playing curling and get to that kind of a level of uh, curling. And so, uh, you know, our hats off to uh, Jennifer. Wish her all the best in uh, mixed doubles with her our partner, uh, Brent Lang. It would have made for a very interesting story had they won because... If they had won that game on Sunday night and they would have automatically come back next year as Team Canada, does that impact Jennifer's decision to retire from women's curling? Would she have come back for one more year? We'll never know that now because it never happened, but it would have been it would have been interesting to see. I asked so many people and uh, I, uh, the answer was no, she's not going to come back. So I'm just going to agree with everybody else that told me no, she would not come back. But I guess we're not in that scenario, unfortunately. Hopefully we get to see her shine on the national stage. But as we put a wrap on the Scotties tournament, now we look forward to the Montana's Briar taking place just down the road from Dauphin in Regina. Pool A, Brendan Botcher, the likes of Matt Dunstone, as well as Reed Carruthers, Scott Howard, Catlin Schneider. And then you go over to Pool B, Team Canada, the defending champions, Brad Gushu, Kevin Cooey, Mike McEwen, Aaron Sluchinski, who beat Kevin Cooey in the Alberta final. Briar week is always my one of my most intrigued weeks of the year. And uh, when it comes down to it on Friday night, we're going to see some of the top teams in Canada ramp up their play. It's going to be a fun tournament. It's always fun. I mean, the the Scotties, you see it's more of a finesse game with the women's game and such like that. Uh, and, and I'm trying not to sound sexist by saying this or, or anything like that, but uh, when it comes to the men's game on the Briar, that's where you see a lot more of the big shots, you know, the double takeouts, the triple takeouts, the, the only... For lack of a better term, the Saskatchewan farmer weight coming down the ice there uh, with the uh, with shots. You know the big weight uh, for takeouts and such like that. So it's really exciting to watch uh, uh, both events, but in particular the Briar. You know you're going to see some amazing shot making uh, uh, at an event like that. And boy, you listed some of the names there. It's hard to pick a, a favorite in that event. I mean. You got to think Team Canada is the favorite. Uh, Brad Gushu going for another championship, but 
there's some good teams. And again, teams that are wild cards going into that event, looking at the likes of a, a Kevin Cooey and a Brendan Botcher, just to uh, name a mention. And one guy we didn't mention in that group as well, too, Matt Dunstone, another Manitoba rink that's going to be uh, at that tournament who uh, didn't even compete, I believe, in the Manitoba Provincials because he had his spot locked up at the uh, Briar this year. And uh, uh, those guys, it's 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 going to be fun trying to pick out who's going to win that one and to watch over the course of the week as to who is going to win uh, the Briar this year. And it's... Uh, uh, Regina fans, if there's uh, folks out in that Regina area that haven't got their tickets yet to, for the Briar, be sure to buy some because you're going to see some great curling. You've already said the Kansas City Chiefs won't win the Super Bowl next year. You're wrong, by the way. They will. Um, but I did pick Rachel Holman to win the Scotties. That's impressive. I'll give you that. Okay, you're one and one. But uh, you can go two and one or one and two. And keep in mind, if you go one and two, I'll never let you no, live it down. Absolutely. Who's going to win the Briar? Who's going to win the Briar this one team. year? Ah, you know what? I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Matt Dunstone. Oh, okay. I'm gonna go with Matt Dunstone to win the Briar. He's been close. Yeah, Matt Dunstone, a big fan of Dunstone. I want to pick two teams, but I can't. Oh, so, come on! No, you got to go one. I'm going one team. I I know. I'm I, I'm taking Brendan Botcher. Huh? I just think bad, they're too strong. Not a bad pick. Not a bad pick at all. One of the top throwers, skips wise. You have Mark Mark Kennedy. You have Benny Bear, a monster of a sweeper. Yep. I'm going Alberta. Can't wait for the Briar, sponsored by Montana's, March 1st to, 1st to 10th in Regina. And now we have someone waiting on the line, Jeff. How good are the Flynn Flom Bombers this year? Pretty good? They're not pretty bad? good. They've been not bad. Yeah. So let's hear from the voice of the Bombers. Rob Hart, coming up next, this is the Heavy Hitters Podcast. Duffy and Henny are coming back with a bang any moment now. Get ready for another round of intense action. Don't miss a beat. Head over to the Heavy Hitters Podcast on Facebook and hit that subscribe button to stay in the loop 24-7. Welcome back, folks. The Heavy Hitters Podcast, as promised, Duffy and Henny. We promised we were going to chat with one of the best when it comes to calling hockey games. And, Jeff, that's what we're about to do. Well, yeah. <laughs> He's a great one. I mean, he's a good guy. He's a, calling right now one of the best teams in the country when it comes to uh, Junior A hockey and uh, been around doing this for quite some time at that as well, too. We've unfolded the red carpet. We welcome to the show for the first time our first guest, which is also pretty exciting, Rob Hart. Rob, thank you so much for taking the time. How have things been? I know it's been several years, uh, a while since we've seen each other in person, but uh, how are things going up in Fun Fun? I'm like really seriously the first guest. You, you are. are seriously our first guest. Seriously, they... oh wow! I really feel, I feel honored now. That's awesome. No, I, I think they're going good. It's always a good to uh, to chat hockey, of course, with a couple of aficionados like yourselves. Well. We got a lot to talk about, uh, Rob, over the next 12 to 15 minutes. We, Jeff and I always seem to put a timer on our chats, and uh, we should stop. We, because... might, we might just throw this out the window here, just go as long as yeah. we possibly can with this. Yeah, we're, we're never right with uh, times, but uh, Rob, appreciate you once again taking the time. And for the folks who aren't uh, super familiar with uh, you, I understand you started your broadcasting career back in 1988. So let's go back to day one and leading up to your first days in the industry. Why did you want to get into radio to start things off? Well, it's, it, that's an interesting story, but I remember uh, growing up in Flint Flon here watching Hockey Night in Canada religiously every single Saturday. Because again, got to remember back then, not every single game was on TV, so Saturday was always a very special uh, time. I remember watching it. I remember seeing guys like Dave Hodge and Brian McFarland, you know, interviewing all these players in, 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 in close proximity. I thought, you know what? That's the best job in the world is to sit, you know, right beside Guy Lafleur, or to sit right beside Wayne Gretzky or Bobby Clark, Daryl Settler, whoever was a big player at that time. And I thought, you know what? That's really what I want to do. I want to sit there and just talk to these elite players. And I guess that's what really first captivated me about the whole thing. Take us through your, your highlights, Rob, of your career. I mean, you mentioned getting the start up in Flin Flon, so you've kind of come full circle now being back home. But what are some of the other highlights of your uh, broadcasting career so far? Well, I mean, I, another thing, I mean, when I started in radio in 88, of course, you, you play a lot of music. So I was, uh, you know, I wasn't really on the sports side of things when I started. I was more like, you know, a DJ in music. And I got a chance to work at a couple of really good uh, FM rock stations on uh, I'll never forget my time in PA at Power 99. I got to work under a guy by the name of Jamie Wall, who really took time out 
to show me how to do things. I mean, I left Flintpaw on the first time in 92, and we just kind of did our own thing, really. I didn't really have a lot of instruction. I just We just kind of came. I had fun. It was great. I won't trade it for anything. But he was the guy that really kind of showed me how to do things, took a lot of personal time, and I, and I really enjoyed working there. We had a really, really good crew, all young, all guys up and coming in the business, so I won't forget that. Uh, my time at Z99 in Regina, I enjoyed that as well. And, of course, had a stint at CKDM uh, working for the legendary Linus Westberg. I can tell you right now, I'll never forget him. I, I I didn't get the chance to work with him, Rob, but Jeff still tells me the stories today of Linus. So, 1988, you begin your broadcasting career. Then nine years later, you mentioned just a few minutes ago, you thought calling hockey games and getting the chance to chat with all these elite players, that's the best job in the world. 1997, you called your first Bombers game, and now, 25 years later, you've called around 1,400 games. What was the moment, though, in your first Flin Flon game? Do you, do you, can you go back to 1997 and speak on that? Well, I don't think it was my very first. I think it was my first road game, which was actually in Kindersley. And I do remember that because I couldn't get the phone line to work that night. And I was running all over the place trying to find a place to hook up. We eventually did get on the air. I remember I was sweating buckets up and down those stairs steady to get in there and get it working. We finally did. And I also remember that game vividly. The Bombers won 5-1, and Mike Reagan had the natural hat trick in the game. So that was my first road game. I think my first home game was against Humboldt. I think they tied it to two. I don't remember much from the game, but I remember that first road game in Kindersley because, like I said, all the technical glitches that we had going in, but it worked out pretty well. You mentioned a couple of beauties off the top there and the likes of Dave Hodge and, and Brian McFarland uh, with Hockey Night in Canada. Who are guys, Rob, that you looked up to and were kind of the guys that you wanted to pattern yourself after when it came to uh, doing play-by-play? Well, I'll tell you one guy that I really like is Rick Jenneret, of course, who's passed away, the longtime Buffalo Sabres guy. And uh, I, I just love the way that he his goal calls. And I'll be, I, I'd be lying to you to say that I didn't try and emulate him a little bit. I mean, I didn't know a lot about him when I was first starting out. But as I went on and, you know, was doing games and it became such a big part of my job, that was one guy that I really, really emulated. I really just uh, just really enjoyed the way that he did things and just the way that he captured the goal calls. And he just became an institution. And uh, that's one guy that I think I really, really uh, tried to emulate myself after. Not that you really can. But uh, he's one guy for sure that uh, I don't think uh, – and, of course, Danny Gallivan, just growing up, I mean, I, I, that was Montreal was my favorite team. And, of course, back in the 70s and 80s, they were in the playoffs a lot then. And I loved listening to him or, or watching him on Hockey Night in Canada between him and certainly uh, uh, Rick and Buffalo were the two guys that I, I really tried to emulate myself after. Rob, from a from a broadcaster's perspective, um, the game obviously has changed over the years. Uh, you know, it's a faster brand of hockey these days, perhaps less physical than it was uh, in the 70s and 80s when you first got your call, even in the late uh, 1990s. But um, from a broadcaster's perspective, how have things changed with perhaps you prepare for a game and even when it comes down to the nitty gritty and actually calling a game? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot more preparation time now. I remember when I started back in the 90s, there was no internet or anything. You just basically picked up whatever you could now. I mean, you have so much information that's accessible, and, I, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way. You prepare for a hockey broadcast. You have lots of stuff you probably don't even end up using, but it seems like you're spending almost as much time with all the prep work now as opposed to actually physically doing the game. And there's so much information out there. I, I try to track down as many interviews as I can. I like interviewing a lot of former bombers. I've been focusing on that the last couple of years, and you know, trying to track down you know different people from different organizations. And I think my focus has changed. I think when I started in '97, my whole focus was the bombers. And when you're in a, in a league as long as I've been, now my focus has become more of the SJHL and trying to you know really hype up the league and the different teams because there's a lot of great players that have played for these. Not just the bombers. There's lots of great players that played for lots of different teams and organizations. And I think. My focus now is probably more the league itself than actually the Bombers, if uh, if that makes sense. We're talking tonight with or today with uh, Rob Hart, the play-by-play voice of the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League's Flin Flon Bombers. They play out of the Whitney Forum in Flin Flon, and Rob, I'm sure many people have heard the stories out of that uh, fabled uh, arena, one of the uh, oldest rinks in Canada and one of the most storied junior hockey rinks in Canada. But somebody that's in that arena 
night in, night out. Just talk a bit about the atmosphere that you see on a nightly basis in the Whitney Forum. Well, I'll tell you what. I remember it was uh, two years ago. The Bombers limped into the playoffs. They lost 11 of their last 13 games. Had to go up against a good battle for club. Lost the first two games in North Battleford, and I thought to myself, well, this is going to be a quick playoff run. I figured, ah, there'll be maybe five or 600 people out uh, for game three. Maybe Flint Fon will win a game and stay alive, but couldn't believe it. Uh, game three, we had like 1,400 people there. They came out. They made a ton of noise. They, they changed the whole complexion of the series. That was the turning point. I, I couldn't believe it. Battleford couldn't believe it. They were, I think, taken back by it. And, boy, what a run that was. It was full houses every single night. Over 2,000 people for Game 6 against Estevan, that historic league final. But I never, ever thought I'd ever see the Whitney form like that again. Of course, we had snippets of that last year, too. And hopefully, if the Bombers can make a run this year, the fans will be a factor. But uh, I'll never forget the the playoff run from a couple of years back. That's the most fun I've ever had going to the hockey rink. Do they still throw animal parts on the ice at the Whitney form? Just moose legs. I like to throw fish in Kindersley. Apparently, they're tossing lots of those on the weekend. But uh, I just the moose legs in Flint Pot, which has become a big tradition. So, Rob, I, I had the chance to uh, work in Flint Flon for about seven months. Uh, yourself and I, we gained pretty, became pretty close. I'll never forget, you really were, uh, gave me my first opportunity to call a junior hockey game. It was the Flint Flon Bombers against the LaRange Ice Wolves. I think back now, and I, I feel bad for all the listeners that were tuning into that broadcast. Um, nonetheless, one of my favorite moments was against the Weyburn Red Wings when that moose leg was thrown on the ice. The Red Wing players tried to steal it. And uh, you don't do that if you're in Flynn Flon. I remember Brandon Switzer, who was one of the team's top players at the time, skated from the bench, charged to go jump that Red Wings player. This actually made TSN. That's one of my favorite moments, Rob. What about yourself on a personal basis? Uh, what's one of your favorite moments at the iconic and famed Whitney Forum? Yeah, I remember that uh, that uh, Moose Lake incident as well, and Weyburn has not won a playoff series since then. They're calling it the Moose Lake Curse. The Weyburn Red Wings have not won a playoff series since then. All I love down. it. <laughs> Here, here's, uh, here's a memory from me, and it's kind of fresh on my because people always ask me, and you, you do it for such a long time, what do you remember? I'm going to give you a story from when the Bombers only won 10 games in a season. I'll never forget it. It was the early 2000s, and the Bombers were actually playing LaRange, I think it was the last home game. It was. It would have been either. It was one of the last home games. or not the last home game. They're one of the last few. And I remember the game went to overtime. John Lupel scored. He was the guy that they picked up from the Wolves in a trade. 20-year-old that decided to stick it out with Flintfon even in a tough year like that. But I'll never forget it. He scores the overtime winner that year in that game. And the place went nuts like they, like they won the SJHL. I thought, this is the only place in the, in, in the world a team wins their 10th game of the year, and the fans just went absolutely crazy. I'll never forget that when John Lupo scored that goal. I thought, now this is a passionate fan base that does that. Talk about the Bombers this year, uh, Rob. Uh, we've, we've already mentioned a couple times. One of uh, the top teams uh, in the country. Uh, you guys have been leading the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League pretty much right from the start of the season. Uh, talk about this club and you know what, are, what have been some of the keys to the Bombers' success this season. Well, it's interesting. They just had their first three-game losing streak, but they found a way to fight out of it this weekend. And I, I think there's a few keys. I mean, goaltending, Harmon Laser-Hume has been dialed in. I don't think I've seen Harmon play a single bad game this year. Even when they lose, he, he plays really well. He's got like uh, 27 wins now in the season. I think he's going to have a new franchise record for victory since they came back in the SJHL. He's been great. The hometown captain, Justin Lee, is wow, what a player. Uh, leading on and off the ice, he's, of course, amongst the league leaders in goals. Points. He leads the league at short-handed goals with six. He's hit double figures and power play goals. But I think more importantly for him, I'm, when you're on the road, you got to get a little bit more of a, a feel of how he is with the players because you're sitting around having meals. You see them at the hotel, team meetings and stuff. And uh, he's a great leader, and uh, they're so fortunate to have Justin come back and play his 20-year-old season with football. He could have stayed in the Western Hockey League this year. He did want to come back and play for football and play with his brother. Uh, getting Carter Anderson from the uh, – the Prince Albert Raiders was big. Uh, he's got 21 power play goals. Those two guys have been great. Laser human. Uh, the feeling and, and, and the different chats I've had with people, just their desire to win. I know even talking with Brock Mueller, who now plays for Kindersley, a former bomber, 
and I caught up with him in Kindersley this weekend. I asked him about his run with the Bombers to the finals. He said, you know what? The thing that he'll never forget was just how dialed in everybody was and just how committed they were to winning. So I think that's the biggest thing is just uh, how committed they are to winning and just how dialed in everybody is, whether you're on the first line, the fourth line, the backup goalie, whatever. Everybody is so dialed in to, to the ultimate goal. And Rob, I hate to get off the success that you guys have had this year. One of the best seasons in Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League history that will undoubtedly come back to in just a couple of moments. But you brought up something interesting there, and it's something I really enjoy. Getting the chance to bond with players, you're on the bus, spending a lot of time with them, getting to know them more so than just, you know, watching them play hockey. So I want to flash back a couple of years ago to uh, when the Bombers went to the Centennial Cup that was hosted by hosted by the Esteban Bruins. And what a better opportunity to bond with a team than literally stay in a hotel together for two weeks. So take me back to your experience in Estevan and what that was like getting to cap off the season at a national event. Well, it was great because uh, I remember they came up a little bit short in Game 7, but it was such a special season. It was just it was great just to see Cal Shell get a chance to play a few more games. And I'll never forget Cal. It's the best goaltending I've seen in the 20-plus years I've been there, and they've had some good ones. Morgan say, of course, the Royal Bank Cup team was great. You know, Shane Delaron, Rob Schrader, uh, you know, the uh, Devin Buffalo, the list goes on and on. I have never seen any goalie dialed in more than Cal Shell. It was a pleasure just to get to see him a chance. It was just great to see these guys get a chance to play on the national stage. And even though they came up a goal short in the league final, didn't look out of place, should have been in the semifinals. They had Pickering down by a couple of goals. And, you know, Pickering scores a couple of short-handed goals. They end up getting to the court, getting to the semifinal. But I, it was just a pleasure just to see these guys get an opportunity. They worked so hard. Like I said, had a, a real tough time going in the playoffs, but figured it out, got the fans behind them. It was uh, a real fun experience for a really, a really good group of kids. So, Rob, we go back to when you played in the league final against Esteban a couple of years ago. Flynn Flon is no stranger to being in league finals. You guys have played in four of the last six. Unfortunately, you guys have come up short in each of those championship series. This year, you guys are 41-6-2. Some people use the term wagon. Some people say the team to beat. Who is going to beat a team that has been on top of the country for as long as the Flynn Flom Bombers have been? Despite that three-game losing streak, Rob, do you believe this is the year? Are, are the Is this year's team different than the version that has been iced in for the last year's six finals? Yeah, it's it's still interesting to determine that. I I mean, you look at uh, the team a couple of years ago. They had such uh, they're so good away from the puck. And, and Zach Smith, who was the captain of that team two years ago, getting back to the Centennial Cup, I'll never forget it. It was over. He showed me he was black and blue from his neck down to his toes, blocking shots, doing everything it takes. I mean, this is certainly a more talented team. Are they a better team away from the puck? I'm not sure. And you have to have both. I mean, I mentioned Cal Shell. I mean, Harmon's dialed in. He's, he's right there. Are they as good away from the uh, from the puck as that team was a couple years ago? I'm not sure. More talent, yes, but uh, not necessarily the most talented team wins. Look at the Boston Bruins, the playoffs last year. I mean, you see the, the top teams in the NHL get knocked off all the time. They've had a bullseye on their chest. You and I talked about this off the air, about this number one team in Canada. I mean, yeah, it's a, I guess it's kind of a good bragging tool, but it really means nothing. I mean, it's the playoffs that count, and it's a talented team, and uh, when you're ranked number one, everybody wants to beat you. And, and what's also been happening, case in point with Kindersley on the weekend, a, time, a team that's really fighting to make the playoffs, I mean, they're throwing everything at you because they're desperate. What does Flint have left to play for in the regular season now? They've clinched first place overall. I mean, the desire to win isn't as strong as maybe it is with some of these teams that they're playing, so... It's going to be really interesting. I think uh, hopefully the Bombers can go in healthy, rested, but uh, I'll tell you what, it's not, it's not going to be a picnic to win the league again this year. There's some good teams, and uh, the Bombers are going to have to really, really take advantage of their opportunities and uh, mentally be as strong as they are with all the skill they have and, and mentally be ready to go because it's, uh, it's a grind. Rob, you've been doing play-by-play now for almost uh, 30 years. As Darnell mentioned, over 1,400 games called. If there's a there's any young broadcasters out there that are listening into our podcast and uh, young guys looking to get into the play-by-play industry, what's the biggest piece of advice you give them? Have fun. It's a great game. It's an exciting game. I mean, it's great to, to do all this preparation work like we talked about and all the technical stuff to go with it. But I think 
If you go and you enjoy the game and you have fun, you'll be successful. Rob, I think that is a perfect way to end out. Have fun. You'll be successful. Rob Hart is the voice of the Flim Flam Bombers in the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, one of the top teams in the country. Rob, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Your guest number one, something we'll always remember. It's certainly been a pleasure to chat with you today. Thanks a lot for the opportunity, guys. And it uh, looks like the Dolphin Kings are having a good season as well. So who knows? Maybe they'll meet up again in the Centennial Cup again this year. Hardy, Rob Hart, the voice of the Flynn Flom Bombers on the Heavy Hitters podcast. We're coming back chatting Nikita Kucherov, Connor McDavid, and what is going on with the Winnipeg Jets? They're winning hockey games. Fans aren't going to games. That and more back in just a moment. Get ready, folks. The Heavy Hitters podcast is about to bring the heat as Duffy and Henny return in just a moment. But here's the kicker. You can be part of the action, too. Want your voice heard on the show? Shoot the boys a message on their Heavy Hitters Facebook page with your burning question, and they'll give you a big shout-out next week when they answer it. But for now, buckle up for more heavy-hitting action with Duffy and Henny. Welcome back, folks. This is the Heavy Hitters podcast, and as we reach... Our third episode, my name is Duffy, Jeff Henson, Henny, and our third segment of the night, Jeff, I started off by saying I think we're getting on a roll, but I'm just going to classify this as a heater because we're just rolling on, hitting all the heavy topics in the sports world, smiling, laughing, and just enjoying every moment. Wasn't Rob Hart great as our our guest here, first ever guest, and we got more in the works that we're uh, working on here. You know, we don't want to let the cat out of the bag as far as who we've got but there's some coming big ones. up. In, but we've got some big names coming up on our podcast here that folks will be wanting to check out future episodes of. So we appreciate your support wherever you are tuning in from. Uh, this past week in episode two, we had someone tune in from Belgium. Nice. I don't know how that happened. I'm not friends with it. I used to host uh, curling events online through playcurling.com. So uh, maybe, and there was someone from Belgium that was in one of my tournaments, but uh, mostly Canada. So we appreciate your support. We also appreciate the support of uh, Connor Sims, who's doing a fantastic job as our social media manager. And Jeff, another guy who's doing a fantastic job is Nikita Kucherov in the, uh, starting this week on Monday, 102 points, 38 goals, and 60, 64 assists. Now, the big question a lot of people are still posing, Jeff, will Connor McDavid catch him? Heading into Monday, 89 points, 21 goals, and 68 assists. He is 13 points behind Kucherov with still plenty of season left to go. I'm not so sure McDavid will catch him because it just seems like Kucherov has taken things to a new level. What are your thoughts? Does McDavid catch him? Yeah, McDavid's going to catch him. But he also has to go over McKinnon to get first overall. Does he get... So, okay, so does what's he the get, question? Does he catch Kucherov yeah, or does he win the scoring title? You've caught me. Okay, you've caught me. Okay, will Connor McDavid catch Nathan McKinnon who he's currently three points behind. We, th- You just said he's going to catch Kutzroff, and if he catches McKinnon, that means he's also the scoring title champion. I say, I say he does catch both. I think he will catch both McKinnon and Kutzroff and eventually uh, win the scoring title here, as long as the Oilers keep playing the way that they're playing right now. I mean, McDavid has been a huge part of this resurgence for the Oilers ever since... Uh, uh, getting his former junior coach, Chris Knobloch, as his new NHL head coach. He had a six-point night one night uh, against the Detroit Red Wings. He's had other big nights uh, along the way. I think it's just a matter of time, some point before the end of the regular season, that McDavid will catch both Kucherov and McKinnon and take over the scoring lead in the NHL. Something that really impresses me, Jeff, is McDavid's plus-minus. He is a plus 19, and I look at the other guys in the top five when it comes to scoring. David Posternock is plus 20. That's tied for 15th in the league. Then our Temi Panarin is a plus five. JT Miller of the Vancouver Canucks is basically just in hero mode. He's fifth in the league with a plus 28. But Nikita Kucherov is a plus four. Nathan McKinnon is a plus 16. And as mentioned, uh, Connor McDavid is a plus 19. That is tied for 22nd in the league. He is doing a lot of good things other than putting up a lot of points. Clearly, he's proving that when he's on the ice, it's not that easy to score him with those numbers. Well, remember too, uh, Nikita Kucherov, a lot of his points have come on the power play. I'd love to see 
what that actual percentage-wise is for Nikita Kucherov. But, I mean, Tampa's power play has been just so deadly this season, and Kucherov has been a big part of that. And that's why I don't think you're—I think that's why you're not seeing his plus-minus all that higher, because obviously— Power play points don't count towards your plus minus. It's on the ice for even strength or if you happen to be on the ice for a shorthanded goal scored by your team. And Kucherov has just been racking up points on the power play this year for Tampa Bay. So that's a big reason why his plus minus numbers are considerably lower to some of those other guys uh, at the top level of here, the uh, NHL scoring race. Nikita Kucherov, 12 power play goals this year and 41 power play points in total of his 102 points, 41 have come. So about 40%. Yeah, which is pretty astronomical. So you're taking Connor McDavid as the scoring title winner. I'm a big Edmonton Oilers fan, and maybe this sounds biased, um, but I'm not sure he's going to catch Nathan McKinnon. I, I do apologize for that. I said McKinnon had 92 points. I was wrong. Not the first time. It's not going to be the last time. McKinnon has 96 with the Colorado Avalanche. So I... Mm, I'm even pressed to say McDavid's going to catch Kucherov because Tampa's going to continue to get power play chances and Kucherov is going to continue to score. So I think McDavid's going to stay right where he is. I think he's going to finish third in the scoring. I think he's really? going to. I think he's going to finish third in scoring. I think he's going to be behind McKinnon and I think he's going to be behind Kucherov, but he's going to continue to keep up that really good plus minus. Something that needs to keep up certainly, Jeff. That well. It hasn't been keeping up, but it has to, is the Winnipeg Jets' attendance. In the past three years, season ticket holders has gone from 13,000 to 9,500. That's a 27% decline in a matter of three years. That is astronomical. And Mark Chipman has come out and said, this is not feasible moving forward if they don't improve. He needs it to get back to 13 grand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Gary Bettman, when the Winnipeg Jets, or when the NHL announced that uh, the league was coming back to Winnipeg all the way back there in 2011, Gary Bettman was the man who said it himself. The arena needs to be sold out night in, night out if this is going to work. It's not going to work if you don't sell that rink out every night. Winnipeg's already got the one of, you know, Arizona Coyotes, obviously uh, a, a much different story, but one of the smaller arenas in the National Hockey League at just a little over 15,000 fans. So for that to be, for this to be a money-making or just even type any type of success financial-wise, that building's got to be full every night. And right now it's not. I remember going to a game earlier this year against the Edmonton Oilers and uh, disappointed to see the number of empty seats that were in the arena that night to watch guys like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And the Jets were playing good hockey at that time as well, too, much like they are right now. So it was disappointing to uh, to see that. It's disappointing to hear that the season ticket level has gotten down that low. My big concern, I, I shouldn't say my concern, my big question with all of this is, will Mark Chipman move the team himself to another city, or does he sell the team and they end up going somewhere? Because Mark Chipman was involved loosely in a group that tried to save the original Winnipeg Jets way back in 1996 and it didn't work it was a big reason why he eventually went out and bought and brought the moose into uh, Winnipeg and of course we all know how that eventually snowballed towards the uh, Winnipeg Jets uh, coming back to the NHL does he run that whole circle that whole event of uh, things happening once again and uh, see and then another NHL team leave the city knowing what happened way back in 1996, the disappointment that there was in the city, the disappointment for himself. I've read several books talking about how disappointed he was that things didn't work out to keep the original Winnipeg Jets uh, in uh, the city of Winnipeg, that there was just way too much conflict and, and uh, uh, other people uh, that were involved in that group, uh, that it just it couldn't work out. So I'm really curious to see uh, you know, how this will play out if things do not get better. And and does Mark, you know, eventually sell this team and move them back out of Winnipeg or have them move out of uh, Winnipeg themselves? Because I know that disappointment, again, from 96, I'm sure is very fresh in his mind. And I'm sure he wants to do everything and anything possible to keep that team in Winnipeg. But at the same time, too, you know, 
this is a business and he can't afford to be losing money hand over fist if people aren't going to go out there and support the team. Now, I'm a big fan of Winnipeg. I, I was born there. I was raised there, moved away from about 18 to chase the broadcasting dream, which I'm currently chasing uh, in Dauphin, Manitoba with my fiance Brody, our Two dogs, five birds, and soon-to-be baby, as we're expecting uh, in August. But, you you know, it's always why. And like I said, I love Winnipeg. I think there's a lot of great going on in Winnipeg. But a lot, I think a lot of the shine goes on the bad things that are happening in Winnipeg, and specifically downtown Winnipeg, which is where the Jets play. The heart of downtown at uh, Canada Life Centre. And it breaks my heart, but as I have visited Winnipeg over the years, downtown has just gotten worse and worse with the homeless homeless population. And again, it, it breaks my heart to see how many people are without homes these days. It's just, uh, especially in our climate, when it gets to, you know, minus 40 in the winter and even when it gets to plus 40 in the summer and when these folks, uh, you know, don't have anywhere to stay warm or cool off in the extreme heat in the summer, but with that being said, it has painted a bad picture on the city. You see so many NHL players saying, we don't want to go to Winnipeg. That's the least desirable place in the National Hockey League to play. Yet they've garnered some pretty good interest from some pretty top talent. I mean, Connor Hellebuck and Mark Scheifele just signed long-term deals. So obviously there is some benefit to staying in Winnipeg and you know being an ultra-celebrity of a city. But... Is it now up to the city of Winnipeg more so than the Jets? Because it, it seems to me anyways, Jeff, that the Jets are doing a good job. It's entertainment these days. We talked about it last week. It's not just a hockey game. It's about entertainment. New nights. You're seeing different nights. Specialty jerseys from the Jets. It seems like they're doing trying to do everything they can other than maybe charging $15 for a beer and $14 for a hot dog. Um, it, it's pretty expensive, uh, especially for a family of four. But doesn't this maybe come down to more so the city of Winnipeg to realize how much the Jets mean to this province and how much of an economic boost it is with the Jets in town on the city to try and clean up the act and what is going on around the city, perhaps? Well, and that's a double-edged sword when you're saying that, because, um, are so you're asking, should the city do more to clean up that area, or should they do more to support the hockey team? I think, I think I'm asking them maybe to do more to clean up that area. Okay. And with that being said, it breaks my heart with the homeless population, but it is continuing to grow, and downtown Winnipeg over the years has become a dirtier place. You're seeing so much uh, garbage all over the place and just all that sorts of thing. So can the city not do more to perhaps help that? In that case, yes, I think they certainly can. I was going to I was going to comment that if you're saying the city needs to uh, pitch in more to help the Jets out itself, no, then you're all. going, okay, well, that money should be spent towards trying to clean up Absolutely. the downtown area to kind of help out the Jets in that sense, make it a more desirable place to go to, to go watch uh, these hockey games. So, yeah, I'm in favor of the city doing more with regards to doing that, you know, trying, you know, some different programs, different things to try and clean up that downtown area to uh, make it more desirable for folks to want to go downtown to watch a hockey game. Now, it, I find it crazy to think that how good this Winnipeg team is, right near the top of the central division yet they can't get anybody at the rink is it is there are there other reasons other than maybe downtown winnipeg not being extremely desirable can the jets do more to lower tickets lower prices of the vendors because if you look at a family of four if you're getting a ticket at let's say even $90 a person that's pretty cheap in my opinion you're looking at $360 just for the tickets the kids are going to want to eat. You're looking at maybe a five, $600 night at its cheapest for three hours. Even if the entertainment is great, even if this is Vegas type entertainment, which it isn't in Winnipeg, 600 bucks for three hours. That's pretty steep. 
It is. And I mean, then that's, if you're looking at those $90 prices, that's for the upper level. I, that's as that's cheap as it gets. And those those seats actually, they're filled. They're, you know, again, I went and watched the game back in late November. There's people sitting up in those upper decks. The upper decks are full. What's disappointing is the two lower bowls. There's lots of empty seats. And I can tell you from experience, you know, when we went to go watch them play, uh, we had uh, four tickets and getting them on the resale market uh, uh, through uh, Ticketmaster and such like that was a thousand dollars. It's crazy. For those four tickets That's to just go watch absurd. that game. That it's it, you're you're outpricing yourself, unfortunately, to a lot of people that want to come and watch a, a hockey game because it's a, you know it's not something that you can do multiple times a year. That's you know that's a one time thing. For, for, for a guy like me to go watch the Jets, if I'm going to have to pay that type and of they prices, lost. you go, yes, they did lose. Let's, we, <laughs> let's move on from that. Uh, but that's, you know, it's a one-time thing uh, for a guy like me over the course of the year and maybe even, you know, one time over a couple seasons because you just, you can't afford to throw that much money out for one night of entertainment for even if it's three hours and even if it's, you know, very much entertaining thing, especially when you can consider you can watch the games at home. For not for free, but, but pretty darn close. Pretty darn. Consi considerably cheaper than paying for paying for those tickets. Guarantee you that hot dog you eat at home is not going to no, be, not gonna be anywhere 14, near fourteen bucks. <laughs> no. Now, I, I guess who are we to um, question what the Jets are doing? But I think them alongside the city of Winnipeg have to be more creative because call a spade a spade. At the end of the day, if the Jets were to lose, or if Winnipeg was were to lose the Jets. They're never coming back. Nope. This is it, 2.0. This was final. If they leave, they're not coming back. And it would be a heartbreak to so many, so many Winnipeggers and Manitobans if the Jets were to up and go again. I I keep hearing how Atlanta is being talked about as being a, an NHL location again. And it baffles my mind. Why? Because that they they've already had two opportunities. It's like Arizona still and, having and, a team. Yeah, and they they've had two opportunities and blown them both. They've had two teams there and couldn't make either one of them work. Why are people discussing that Atlanta should be uh, getting a third opportunity at an NHL franchise? It just it baffles my mind. And the same discussion would be had for Winnipeg if the Jets end up leaving again. They will not get another opportunity and should not and should not no. If, if we can't support this team enough on two occasions to keep a team in the NHL, they don't deserve a third shot. So I think it's on the city of Winnipeg. I think it's on the Winnipeg Jets to join forces, get a little bit more creative, give Mark Chipman what he wants. He wants to see 13,000 season tickets per year. Right now, the Jets are averaging just more than 13,000. That's the lowest in the league other than, of course, Arizona. a team that is playing in a university rink, yep. I guess you could call it, in Mullet Arena. But uh, some frustration for the Winnipeg Jets brass. But at the end of the day, this is a really good hockey team. But look at that, Jeff. The time flies. We've run out of time once again. It's been a blast. It has been a blast. So thank you once again, folks, for tuning into the Heavy Hitters podcast. We sure appreciate it. We appreciate you. We'll be back next week for some more heavy hitting topics so chat with you around the clock see you at seven that's a wrap for this week on the heavy hitters podcast don't forget to give the guys a follow on twitter at it's the duffy one and jay henson 73 you can also keep up to date with the podcast by visiting the heavy hitter podcast on facebook duffy and henny will return next week but for now keep it real and keep it heavy hitting